Well, good evening and welcome to our Wednesday night study. Uh, we are going to be joined by Jarrett Ferguson in just a few moments, and we'll be talking about uh, one another passages again. And this week we're going to look at serving one another. But before Jarrett and I get into the Bible study, I've got Lauren Nix joining me today because we want to take advantage of this one another opportunity to encourage everybody to get connected again with people maybe they haven't been talking to for a while during all the uh, COVID issues. So we just want to spend three or four minutes with uh, Lauren talking to her. And I chose her to talk to today because I really view her as a servant. She serves us here at Lost River in so many ways, and she has a servant's heart. We appreciate that so much. So Lauren, I appreciate you being here. I know this isn't uh, really your what you thrive on or strive to do is, is being in the, the camera, but thanks for joining You're us. You're welcome. So uh, you are still married to your first husband. Yes. Jared Nix. 17 years. 17 years, one of our deacons here. And you've been at Lost River slash 12th Street for your whole life. Whole life, 39. I was going to say, I want to ask. Not 40 yet. Not 40 yet, 39 years in holding. Yes. Well, good. And uh, during, during your 39 years here at Lost River, is there are there any people who really jump out at you as being inspirations or examples of service people who've served you or served other people in a way that just stands out in your mind probably two of my absolute favorites who have served me would be vernon gary and paul cook two of the elders that you grew up uh being shepherded by both of them with great servants hearts and i too have been served by them. So uh, they are an inspiration to many. Well, um, you've been working uh, here at the office for about four years, four we were years. talking about. And in doing so, you serve the church in a number of, of, of ways. Our goal here is to try to lead people into a transforming relationship with Jesus. One of the ways that we do that is by providing Bible classes for children that teach them about the Lord and His will and His way. What, what do you do that kind of helps teachers be able to focus on teaching instead of all the work of trying to get ready to teach? Um, help make copies, help um, even prepare lessons, okay. um, come up with activities, um, just help them to make it easier to execute so that they can be able to teach. Okay, very good. So that's very much a service type uh, thing because it's very much behind the scenes and it's just helping other people to be able to do what they need to be able to do. And we appreciate that. Some of the other things that you do here are put together our news and notes and send out our office emails. Communications is a huge part for our church here and, and Lauren does a tremendous job with that. Uh, you also maintain our membership directory which uh, I can't imagine trying to function as a church, especially now more than ever without uh, updated membership uh, uh, directory. And, and Lauren works on that for us. Uh, she also answers calls and helps people who are coming in and out of the building on a regular basis with all the maintenance and equipment issues that we have. Uh, and not only do you help prepare other teachers uh, with their materials so they can teach, but you're one of our children's teachers as well. What grades do you typically, uh, age children, do you like to teach? I love the two-year-olds to probably kindergarten, first grade. Okay, very good. Well, we appreciate that so much. Uh, one of the other things that Lauren and her husband, Jared, do is host our junior and senior high devos on Thursday nights. 
at their home. And uh, we appreciate that. Opening up your home to a group of unruly teenagers <laughs> is a, a true act of service. So uh, we appreciate that. We appreciate so much about you and uh, hope that everybody at home uh, will let Lauren know how much we appreciate the way that she serves so many. Thank you. Well, now as we jump into our study itself, we're going to be looking at uh, the commandment that Paul gives to the Galatians in Galatians chapter 5, that we are to serve one another. And Jarrett is joining me again for this study. And it says in Galatians 5.13 that uh, we were called to freedom, brothers, only do not use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. I think it's interesting right there, Jarrett, that he says it's through love, which we talked about last week, that we are to serve one another. So you've got motivation of, of love and now the action itself carried out in service. And then he adds, for the whole law is fulfilled in one word. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. But if you bite and devour one another, watch out that you do not be consumed by one another. He's obviously here telling us that we should serve one another out of love. But do you see anything in the immediate context, Jarrett, that helps us understand what Paul's trying to communicate? Well, like you mentioned, how we talked about last week, it all starts with that foundation of the law. And I love that that idea right there. It's kind of the summation of it all to love your neighbor as yourself. Uh, but then another interesting idea here that I think uh, helps us in our understanding is the idea of true freedom that he puts forth to the world, uh, to many today, true freedom would seem to have something to do with being able to do whatever I want, yeah. uh, to fulfill my own desires, my own interests, uh, no matter what anybody else says or thinks about that. And what Paul is saying is, no, that, that actually just destroys society and that only enslaves you to your emotion and your feeling and impulse. And he says, in, instead of uh, fulfilling your own desires, true freedom is really to be free from yourself, the ability to control that desire and direct that desire uh, toward loving and, and serving other people. And there's kind of, I think, a self-evident truth in that. I've never felt more free and liberated than when I'm finally able to get outside of myself yeah. and focus on serving other people. Um, and, and I think we, we can kind of get that sense of just living our daily lives. Um, but there's a sort of paradoxical freedom that he puts forth that uh, freedom comes when we give up our own selfish worldly desires and focus on serving one another. Yeah, it's almost like uh, freedom has to, true freedom, biblical freedom, as Paul describes it here, has these two components. It is sort of a, a freedom to do what you want to do, but it's also the ability to want what you should want. Mm -hmm. right. <laughs> I want to do what's right, what's good, what's loving for others. Uh, and when I want that and I'm free to do it, then that's real freedom, mm -hmm. as Paul defines it. That's really good. Uh, you know, in the broader context here of Galatians 5, uh, Paul contrasts the flesh and the spirit as two controlling influences uh, and motivations that drive societal interaction. And I like to think of that um, flesh and spirit as motivation sort of as people who adopt either a a scarcity mentality or an abundance mentality a scarcity scarcity mentality is is when we uh are 
uh, thinking that there's just only so much uh, appreciation, so much uh, uh, goods that are available out there, and I've got to get mine before you get yours. And we sort of follow the um, uh, Jack Sparrow mentality of you take what you can, give nothing back. <laughs> That's sort of living by the, the flesh. The flesh is hungry. Uh, it feels uh, the need to consume, to take. Uh, it's competitive and it's predatory. Uh, whereas, um, you know, and, and it's, it's something that kind of works uh, in a sense for a while. <laughs> mm-hmm. You know, you can, you can compete and, and win and it seems like things are going good. But when you think of it in the context of a community of people, of a family or a church, uh, it only works till it stops working and eventually the people within that group start to turn on one another, cannibalize one another. And it's exactly what Paul says, you better watch out. With that attitude, pretty soon you're gonna bite and devour each other. But there's another way and that's the way of the spirit and under the influence and control of the spirit, we sort of have an abundance mentality because we we awaken to the reality that um, there's not just this limited supply of what, what we need. Uh, God's care for me, God's love for me, God's adoption into his family has put me in a realm and a place where I have everything that my heart ultimately desires. And now with the fullness of what God's putting in, I'm able to look at you and others, not as enemies to be defeated or competitors to be uh, outclassed, or goods that I need to secure for me and mine before you get them for your, you and yours. But I, I have what I need so I can begin to move in a direction of, of sharing, of, uh, and of caring about others and serving others instead of just seeing people as tools that I can use to get what I want. I love that contrast. And I think if we're ever really gonna be servants of one another, that flip, that switch has to be flipped. Uh, where we're not in the scarcity mentality, but an abundance mentality, where we're truly operating in the realm of freedom that you described uh, as well, where we, we're doing what we want, but what we want is the blessing and benefit of others. Well, Jared, uh, as we think about that, we know that Jesus lived by the Spirit and not the flesh, and it was out of His fullness of life in the Spirit that He was able to serve others so well. Uh, are there any uh, thoughts or passages that come to your mind as you think about uh, Jesus uh, and his service-minded attitude toward others. Right. Well, if, if we went through all the examples, um, I mean, that, that one study of service in the life of Jesus could take up an entire year, our entire lives of study. But there's one place in Mark chapter 10 that I think really gets th- at this idea. And uh, there in Mark 10, we'll pick up in verse 42 in just a moment. But it all starts with a request that is made back in verse 35. Uh, And so there, um, throughout Jesus' ministry, he's been talking about this kingdom, this kingdom that is coming. And so two of his disciples, James and John, they want to know, you know, if if this kingdom is coming, then uh, can we sit on your right hand and on your left when you enter into this kingdom? These would be positions of honor. Right, right. And so it's not so much, hey, can we be your right hand man? Can we, you know, be with you through thick and thin? But it's more (laughs) the idea of, hey, can we can. In fact, they even start with, um, we want you to do whatever you ask of us. And so there's a very selfish motivation behind this, but they're seeking that power in in prestige and uh, honor. And so um, 
they they ask this they they request this of Jesus to sit on his right and his left, and uh, he he responds to them in a, in a really interesting way. But in the middle of this conversation, it seems like the other disciples overhear what's going on, and they become indignant with James and John for even asking this. And then this whole dispute breaks out, and I can almost imagine these twelve guys sort of shouting back and forth, arguing about who's the greatest. And so here's yeah, so it's not an argument about oh we're upset that they would ask such a thing but that almost like oh, they beat us to the punch right. you know we wanted that and they asked first right. so they're upset and and it seems like that's been a problem throughout their time in following Jesus they're always talking about who's the greatest in the kingdom <laughs> and so Jesus finally he he oh, it's almost like he he kind of calms them down he's like okay guys just come here and then he says this in verse forty two. He says, you know that those who are considered rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their great ones exercise authority over them. And uh, we'll pause right there for just a second. So it, it, it's I think it's interesting the way Jesus initially responds. He says, if you just look at the world around you, this Greco-Roman world that is so caught up in honor, shame, culture, that's so caught up in power and prestige and position, if you just look outside, you know that that's not the way you want to be because that's that's the people that you disassociate with. Um, and so he says, if you just look around, you're doing the very same thing that the people you despise are doing. Um, and so you're, you're no better than them. But then uh, he says in verse 43, it, it isn't to be this way among you. Instead, whoever would be great among you must be a servant, and whoever would be first among you must become the slave of all. And so here's another one of those paradoxes that Jesus puts forth, that true greatness is not found in honor and status, but in humility and servitude. And it makes me think of uh, an illustration my dad has used a number of times in preaching and teaching and uh, teen devotions and things like that. He loves doing this, but he'll he'll get everybody to write down the name of someone who impacted their lives in a positive way. Uh, someone who had kind of the, the most significant influence on them uh, in their lives. And across all of the hundreds of people that he's done this with, across all age groups, no one has ever said anything about uh, power or status, that the reason why these people impacted them had to do with uh, wealth or fame or athletic ability or beauty or any of those things. It always has to do with someone who showed that they care, that they expressed the, their, their love to them in some small act of service that just had a profound impact on them for good. Uh, and so what that shows, I think, is it, it proves Jesus' point here, that greatness uh, is is not about the uh, fame or wealth or status that we might hold, um, but instead it's it's about being a servant. It's about showing people that you care, or like he said, whoever wishes to be great among you must become a servant. That's a really great illustration that your dad used. I'm glad you shared that with us. You know, you think about it too in life. Sometimes you may see someone who has a a position or a, a title or uh, or wealth and and you might have a motivation to get close to them because of what's in it for you 
but the people that you really want to be with, that you really love, that you're truly drawn to, aren't people who have a position because of a title. It's because of who they are, mm-hmm. the way they love, the way they serve. That's who you're really wanting to be with. And uh, though Jesus was great among them, undoubtedly the truly compelling attraction about him was the way he served and, and loved people. And right. in, in a lot of times, those are even in such small ways. It could just be one conversation where someone was listening intently to you when you needed that, mm-hmm. or someone who just had some quick word of encouragement that kept you going. And so, and, and you see that in the life of Jesus. He performed these great miracles, but he was, it was also so personal and, um, you know, just right there with the people showing them how much he cared. And so he exemplified that throughout his life. And that that plays right into uh, verse 45, this sort of mission statement for even the son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. And so that's just an amazing purpose statement uh, that kind of summarizes the, the life of Jesus. It was never about himself. It was never about his own glory. It was always outward focused, pleasing God, sacrificing his own will for the interests of others. Um, and, and he sets that forth as the, the one focus of his ministry, not to be served, but to serve and to give of himself, ultimately, of course, on, on the cross. Yeah, so there were, uh, with that ultimate act of service on the horizon, his entire life and ministry leading up to it was signaling that that's the direction it was going because he was always giving himself away. You know, that that's an important thing, I think, because a lot of times we'll think of how, you know, if called upon in some dramatic way, I would be willing to lay down my life and, and serve others uh, um, often be, probably because of some glory that would be associated with giving ourselves away in that in that manner. But uh, what's really needed is, you know, mom needs some help with the dishes. Uh, <laughs> the, the baby needs changing. The house needs to be cleaned, what, whatever it is. Those are the little things that uh, uh, we often overlook. But that's what life's made up of. It's not really those once in a lifetime big acts of service. It's the day to day grind of being a servant. And Jesus was clearly doing that throughout mm-hmm. the ministry. That's great. Well, you know, I, I think of, um, uh, well, before I do this, is there, is there anyone, you mentioned your dad and, and the, what he did, but is there anyone else that you have thought of through your life that is sort of an inspiration to you in terms of being a servant? Well, that's the amazing thing about the church. It's like you can look around at any congregation that you've ever been a part of and see so many people mm-hmm. who have exemplified that in their own life and have followed in the footsteps of Jesus in that way. Uh, one example that that came to my mind was of my grandmother, or I call her my granny. I don't know <laughs> what people call their grandparents in Kentucky, uh, but but my granny, she has, um, I, I, I've never known anybody who has just lived so outside of themselves. Uh, it was just constantly focused on other people and their needs. And, and sometimes that's in very um, specific kinds of service, but a lot of times it's just that she knows what's going on in the lives of everybody at her church. She goes to uh, Down Road in Beaumont, Texas, 
Uh, but you know, this is a large congregation, but she seems to know what's going on in the lives of every single person. She's always calling in and writing cards and checking up on people. And then she's also found kind of her specific niche over the years of how she can serve, which I think is so important. It's, it's great to have, or it's, we, we need to be serving in, in a, a variety of ways, sure. but to find that, that niche, I think is really, really important so too. Well. And for her, that has uh, become sewing. Uh, <laughs> she sews blankets for every event. When a, when a child is born, when someone's baptized, I mean, she's got a blanket for it every time. And it just shows how much she cares for people. And so that's been an example of someone who has really inspired me to get outside of myself and give to other people and to try to find my own specific way that, that I can communicate that to people. That's good. It reminds me of grandmother's uh, gift there of serving in that particular way. It reminds me of the story in Acts of the woman named Tabitha or, or Dorcas, uh, who when she died, there was a great lamentation in the church. Uh, everyone was really feeling the loss. And one of the specific things is that they were bringing the tapestries or the quilts or whatever it was that she had made and had gifted apparently a lot of the people with. So it sounds like your grandmother's that kind of person. Well, uh, an example that I was thinking of is another very famous one. Uh, um, and that's in John, the 13th chapter where we find Jesus washing the disciples' uh, feet. Um, I love the way that this chapter begins. In John chapter 13, it says that it was taking place in the context of the great feast of um, Passover, which was a high holy day for the Jews. And so it's a, a significant moment in itself. Jesus is gathered there with the 12 and it says that he knew that his hour had come. So this wasn't just any Passover. This is the Passover at which Jesus was about to be crucified as the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And it says that he knew that his time to depart out of this world had come and that he was going to go to the Father. And it says, having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. And he's about to do something that will re reveal in a very specific way how great his love for his disciples and his people was. And it goes on to say that he, after they had eaten dinner, um, rose up from the supper and he took aside his garments that he was wearing, which would have imagined been the garments of a rabbi, of a teacher, of some distinction of his status that he had among the people. But he, he lays that aside and instead he girds himself then with a, a towel and then gets a basin of water and he goes about washing the disciples' feet, which of course we know was the task of the most lowly servant. I mean, the, the, the lowest slave in the house was the one who was given the loathsome job of, of washing the filthy feet of people who walked through the uh, dirty streets of Jerusalem. And Jesus is now stooping to that position of, of the lowest status in order to serve a real need that the disciples had. I think it's interesting to, to note that when they gathered there for the supper, all of them probably had dirty feet, uh, but nobody was willing to go low and be the one who would wash everybody else's feet. And maybe Jesus just noticing that um, says, well, this needs to be done since nobody else is doing it. 
I'm going to take that job on myself. So he goes around, he washes the disciples' feet. We don't have time to get into the interesting interplay between him and Peter uh, about that. But it says when he finished in verse 12, having washed their feet, he put his outer garments uh, back on and resumed his place, uh, uh, which would have been in prominence among them. And he asked them a question, do you understand? Do you understand what I have done to you? I don't know, you know, they're probably by this time learned to think, uh, you know, probably not because they never seemed to understand fully what he was doing. But he explains for them, he says, you call me teacher and Lord, and you're right, for so I am. And, you know, we still honor teachers uh, and um, put them in a position of, of, of priority. And I think that's an appropriate thing to do. Uh, but in their society, that was a hugely important thing to 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 acquire the position of a rabbi of an official teacher just really puts you in a, a high position and, and jesus says that's who i am and you're right in calling me that and then he says if then i your lord and teacher have washed your feet you also ought to wash one another's feet for i have given you an example that you should do just as i have done to you Truly, truly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor a messenger greater than the one who sent him. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Um, I don't know about you, Jared, but I want to I live under the blessing of God. I want his blessing on my life. And Jesus couldn't make it any clearer that if we want the blessing, then we need to, to do the things where the blessings are found. And, and he says that the blessed person is the one who stoops to serve the needs of others, not who is climbing that ladder to try to make himself great, to, to receive the accolades and the applause, but the person who's seeking the ways to most practically meet the needs of the people around him. And of course, uh, we love that about Jesus, and it's what draws us uh, to him and what sets him apart uh, so much. Um, I think about, as you did um, your, with your, your grandmother, so many people in my life who have exemplified this. I think of my wife, who sounds to me uh, in a lot of ways like your, your granny, who's uh, always thinking of others, always serving. Uh, but I, I think also of a beloved brother here at Lost River that we lost uh, a few years back now, Ken Marshall, who was a person who had accomplished a great deal in his life. He was a very successful businessman, highly intelligent, amazing Bible student, teacher, um, husband, father, elder, uh, just a, just a, a, an amazing person. Uh, and so many people were never aware of all the ways that he just behind the scenes did things for, for people that nobody knew about. He wasn't trying to draw attention to. Just a, an amazing servant who, as you said, would find people who needed encouragement. And he had a unique way of taking the time to take them to lunch or to do something like that and, and pour himself into them. Uh, he didn't need them. He didn't need that, uh, but it's who he was. And it's always inspired me as he followed after Jesus to try to follow after Ken in that way. And so many others too, who uh, are servants of others. And um, uh, it's, it's moving to think about. Well, as we try to wrap this up, we need to think of some ways that will help us remember how to be servants and how to practically put this into practice in our life. Um, I remember uh, where we started with this in Galatians chapter five about that 
abundance mentality versus a scarcity mentality uh, of living in the spirit, not according to the flesh. And remembering that because I am an adopted child of God who has the spirit of God living in me, I have everything I need. My identity is secure. Uh, my, my future is, is in God's hands. He's going to take care of me. Uh, I don't need to, to have an attitude toward others of trying to get mine from them. I need to have this attitude of serving others. So I think if I remember whose I am and what I have and how blessed I am in God and in Christ and in the spirit, I can move out in service to others. What takeaways do you do you see? Yeah, in line with that, I, I think about uh, the one of the very first commands in the Bible where God says, go and fill the earth, fill the earth with his glory. And what we do instead is we fill ourselves with the earth, something that will never sustain us mm-hmm. or satisfy us. And that is a scarce resource. Uh, and and the, only, the only way that we can truly go out and serve other people is if we recognize that the only place where we're going to find satisfaction and fulfillment is in God in carrying out his glory through serving other people. And so I, I think that's one thing, but also asking the question of why am I here? Not just whose am I, but why am I here? What's my purpose? And it's so easy to get caught in the way of thinking of those disciples because we live in a culture that is obsessed with being awesome. We want to feel important and needed and valued. Uh, we we, we want to know that, that we have a, a higher rank or status among people, and maybe even in the church sometimes. We start to rank ourselves like the apostles were doing. Yes. Uh, but it reminds me of a quote uh, that I read the other day. I can't remember who the author was, but self-importance always self-implodes. <laughs> self-importance always self-implodes. And so rather than that way of thinking, we have to remember uh, why we're here, that, that we are disciples, we're followers of Jesus, striving to be like him in every way. And that means that we set forth on that same mission that he talked about in Mark 10, not to be served, by others, not to serve myself, but to serve and to give and to pour myself out in service to the people around me in whatever way I can. That's great. And as I try to think of uh, putting that into the most practical thing I can think of, I know we feel overwhelmed often because there's so many things that need to be done, so much uh, service that needs to be performed. It's just kind of overwhelming and it can cause us to draw back and maybe not do anything. So I ran across a phrase years ago that someone said, like you said, the quote, I don't know where it came from, but it's, it's do for someone what you wish you could do for everyone. It's not as good as, uh, your implode and, and all that stuff, but, uh, do for everyone what you wish you could do or do for someone what you wish you could do for everyone. Um, you know, sometimes I remember even hearing my parents or a teacher or someone say, well, I'd like to do this for you, but if I did this for you, I'd have to do it for everyone. And the idea is there, we want to be fair. Well, I think we should just let fair go. Life isn't fair. <laughs> it's never fair for everyone. I think it'd be much, much better for us to just say, you know, no, I'm going to do for this one, what I wish I could do for everyone, because it says in Galatians chapter six and verse nine, let us not become weary in doing good for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially those who belong to the family 
of believers. So, you know, the thing is to just do good as you have opportunity. And we can't solve all the world's problems. We can't cure all the world's diseases or solve poverty or help every situation. But every day and perhaps today, someone is going to cross my path that I have the resource to meet that need. And I don't need to ask the fair question or anything else. I just need to say, here's someone Mm -hmm. and I can do for them what I wish I could do for everyone and just do it. As I have opportunity, do good. That's what God's calling us to. And I think that's what a servant's heart looks like. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you again, Jarrett, for being such a vital part of this study today. We hope that you will find someone to serve today. Let's close, as we always do, with a word of prayer. Our great God and Father, we thank you for serving us. It's hard to imagine as lowly a creature as we are, utterly dependent on you and in so many ways upon the creation you've given us to very uh, to sustain our very lives and yet you have stooped to serve us how could we in light of that ever feel that we are too good to serve others give us that humble heart that you have revealed in jesus that we may look for that opportunity to do good today for someone that you put in our path we ask it in jesus name amen amen